Welcome to Onco Farm Pod. I'm your host, John Bazaar, and today we're kicking off a, a new series. Um, you know, listeners of the pod will know that we have our foundation, or we have our, sorry, got ahead of myself. We have our landmarks in Oncology Pharmacy series where we go through landmark journal club articles um, to, to catch us up. Uh, if you're if you're learning about this, the oncology pharmacy literature from the beginning, uh, this is the place for that. Um, today, uh, I'm launching the Foundations in Oncology Pharmacy series. So this is going to be oncology pharmacy basics, uh, the things that um, that you would have learned in pharmacy school most likely. But let's say you are um, new to oncology pharmacy. Say you're like my buddy Travis, uh, who worked in a different field in pharmacy for many years and has now found himself uh, working in oncology pharmacy for the first time. So if you're someone like Travis, let's say you're a resident, maybe you're a PGY2 oncology pharmacy resident, and uh, next week you've got your weekly talk and you're talking about platinums and you want a little more background on cisplatin, uh, you're in luck today because that is our topic. Uh, or if you're a pharmacy student and want a little, little bit more, or if you're um, uh, you know, uh, a seasoned clinician who doesn't see cisplatin a whole lot. But, but I would guess if you're a seasoned oncology pharmacist, you won't learn a whole lot new here today. Um, well, thanks for listening to the first minute and a half, though. Um, no, I'm kidding. You should stick around. You might learn something. Um, so I'm going to be talking about cisplatin today. And again, this this is going to be the basics. So this is going to be, you know, should be pretty short. Um, before I get into that, I do want to mention to uh, to follow me on Twitter at PharmDetinib, P-H-A-R-M-D-E-E-T-I-N-I-B. Follow the podcast at OncoFarmPod. And I'll be tweeting out an article that I'm referencing uh, a little bit later that it is about uh, the discovery of cisplatin, which which is pretty fascinating. One of the reasons I wanted to start this series with this. So, first thing, cisplatin, the alias, aliases. A lot of these drugs have several names. So, cisplatin, also known as cisplatinum, uh, platinol, which is the brand name, which you, I don't ever hear. Cisdiamine dichloridoplatinum, or CDDP, which you'll see abbreviated in many uh, journal articles, and Peyron's chloride. And we'll talk about that in a second. So let's talk about the history of cisplatin first. Here's what I remember learning in, in pharmacy school about cisplatin. And I went to pharmacy school at Purdue, and so there's a Big Ten component to this story. So what I remember was this was you know a serendipitous, a lucky discovery by a uh, you know a biologist who was just looking at E. coli in uh, an electric field and found that the E. coli uh, stopped growing the way they're supposed to, and that led to the discovery of the compound around the platinum electrode. And that's fairly close. There's more to it than that, and I really learned a lot about this from an article from a couple years ago published in JCO by um, Mugia and colleagues, M-U-G-G-I-A, uh, from 2015, volume 33, page, uh, beginning page uh 4,219. I'll tweet that out later. It's a 50-year kind of retrospective looking back at the discovery of cisplatin by uh, Barney Rosenberg, or Barnett Rosenberg. Uh, He had a PhD in physics, uh, had gone to Brooklyn College and then NYU. Um, Interestingly, his his PhD mentor had studied under Albert Einstein, Um, and he uh, went to Michigan State University 
and was a co-founder of the biophysics department. And they're doing this research in 1965. He, along with several colleagues and, and uh, research colleagues, uh, and the article describes you know everybody involved in this. Um, they observed that E. coli cells that had been exposed to an electrical field that was generated by platinum electrodes stopped dividing. So these E. coli cells should have been dividing constantly, uh, similar to the way uh, tumor cells divide constantly. But they stopped dividing. They didn't die. They got longer. And so this um, puzzled them and made them think that something is preventing DNA uh, replication. So. Uh, and in fact, these, these E. coli cells got longer, like 200 to 300 times longer than they should have been. And uh, then after some, uh, some work, they discovered what the compound was, uh, cisplatin, which is uh, you know, a pretty small molecule with platinum in the middle and then two chloride ions on one side, hence the cis. So the drug was sent to the National Cancer Institute where it was uh, studied uh, in humans after some work uh, in, in with animals. So cisplatin, uh, the initial uh, use of cisplatin, the initial uh, phase one studies were limited uh, at rel relatively low doses at 40 milligrams per meter squared. These patients would have uh, nephrotoxicity and acute kidney damage until they learned about the hydration. Uh, and we'll revisit the toxicity and toxicity management in a second. But first, let's talk about where we use cisplatin. And the first thing I would say, let's say you are uh, new to oncology pharmacy. You're, you're working in order entry. You're verifying chemotherapy orders. Maybe you don't have a ton of experience with different malignancies. If you see an order for cisplatin, it's a pretty safe bet that that patient is being treated with curative intent. As we'll see in a little bit, cisplatin is pretty toxic. For that reason, it's avoided in patients uh, who don't have a chance at cure. So when cisplatin is being used, pretty good chance that uh, the oncologist is trying to cure that patient. It is, uh, if you think of uh, an antibiotic uh, terminology, cisplatin is pretty broad spectrum as an anti-neoplastic. Um, and the dosing range um, goes from 20 milligrams per meter squared all the way up to 100 milligrams per meter squared. And in extreme special circumstances, maybe 120 milligrams per meter squared. But uh, you know, if you look in a lot of um, drug information resources, they'll say don't don't process an order for 120 milligrams per meter squared of, or of uh, cisplatin without talking to somebody first. Um, so 20 per meter squared up to 100 milligrams per meter squared is obviously a wide range. So the 20 milligrams per meter squared dose is usually giving. Uh, every day for five consecutive days in testicular cancer. Um, uh, you have 40 and 50 milligram per meter squared doses that are given weekly. Uh, cervical cancer is an example of that. Um, you have the, the higher doses of 100 milligrams per meter squared that I've talked about for things like head and neck cancer or squamous cell carcinoma with head and neck. Um, if you want to just remember one dose for cisplatin, 75 milligrams per meter squared, that's kind of the middle of the road. If it's quite a bit lower than that, that would be a low dose, more associated with weekly dosing, and then above that would be higher dose. So, so 75 milligrams per meter squared is kind of the middle dose. Um, so we've mentioned cervical cancer, used a lot for uh, small cell lung cancer for curative intent. Um, you could use it for non-small cell lung cancer that's metastatic. Uh, most clinicians probably would favor carboplatin because of the, the better safety profile. Uh, head and neck cancer, osteosarcoma, uh, of course, testicular cancer, uh, which was really groundbreaking to use cisplatin in testicular cancer. Um, you know, now most patients with testicular cancer are cured. We're talking cure rates above 90%. Uh, 
uh, esophageal, gastric cancers, uh, lymphomas, both Hodgkin's lymphomas and non-Hodgkin's lymphomas with the DHAP and ESHAP regimens, uh, multiple myeloma, uh, and the DT-PACE regimen. Um, you know, it has some activity in triple negative breast cancer, although it's not used a whole lot. So really, it's got a lot of, a lot of uses uh, in oncology. So it's used, you know, it has a lot of activity, but because of its toxicity profile, its use is reserved mostly for diseases that can be cured with chemotherapy whether in the, um, with chemotherapy alone, like a lymphoma, or as adjuvant treatment, for example, after resection of a non-small cell lung cancer. I mentioned initially the dose-limiting toxicity of cisplatin was nephrotoxicity. When the drug was first given, uh, patients would have acute kidney injury uh, basically the same day they got the drug, even at doses as low as 40 milligrams per meter squared, until uh, researcher, scientists, physicians learned about hydration, and really it's chloruresis. It's getting a high concentration of chloride ions into the kidney. And that's important because uh, cisplatin's activity is dependent on a highly reactive intermediary uh, where one of the, the chloride ions acts as a leaving group. So if you saturate the kidneys with chloride ions, uh, you're able to prevent that leaving group from uh, from leaving so easily or from being replaced with a different chloride ion basically makes it more stable inside uh, the kidney tubules decreasing nephrotoxicity. So we want to really hyperhydrate these patients with normal saline. Again, we need chloruresis, so, so D5W would not be ideal. So hydrate them with normal saline. Uh, and you can, you can also use some forced hydrate or forced uh, chloruresis or diuresis with uh, loop diuretic or with mannitol. Now, this is a controversial topic of how to do that. Uh, for a long time, um, people used mannitol, and then people, uh, there were really not very many, like one and a half well-designed studies uh, showing that mannitol uh, didn't have a great effect and maybe was harmful, so some folks moved away from using mannitol, uh, although certain groups still use mannitol. And then there was a mannitol shortage, and when there was a mannitol shortage, that created a really uh, unique experiment or quasi-experiment as they call it in the literature where you had this pre-group where say a hospital group always used mannitol and then a post-group in a mannitol shortage area where there was no mannitol to use and in in those hospitals and clinics in the mannitol shortage era they did see more nephrotoxicity without mannitol especially in the high dose cisplatin range so doses of 100 milligrams per meter square or more generally so, you know, we're seeing a shift back now to using mannitol to prevent cisplatin nephrotoxicity on top of normal saline, uh, and we're talking low doses, you know, like 12 and a half grams of mannitol. So, uh, most commonly for, a, for an average dose, so 75 milligrams per meter squared of cisplatin or more, most people would give a liter of normal saline before and after uh, your dose of cisplatin. Um, that nephrotoxicity causes renal tubular damage, which can lead to potassium and magnesium wasting. And for that reason, a lot of times these pre or post IV fluids will also contain supplemental potassium and magnesium to get ahead of the electrolyte wasting that can happen. Uh, nausea and vomiting, this is, this is the, the poster child for chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. Even at doses of 20 milligrams per meter squared, patients would have emesis. It's highly emetogenic, which means more than 90% of patients without uh, an antiemetic would have emesis with cisplatin. And because it's so emetogenic, it was the drug to study things like uh, the 5-HT3 antagonist to uh, establish the efficacy of, of antiemetics. So nausea and vomiting um, requires a aggressive pretreatment to prevent with cisplatin. So 
Based on the latest ASCO guidelines, you're looking at four-drug preventative regimen, uh, or a cocktail of a 5-HT3 antagonist, dexamethasone, a neurokinin-1 antagonist like aprepitant, as well as olanzapine. Ototoxicity is also a potential concern. Uh, throughout pharmacy and pharmacology, if a drug causes nephrotoxicity, think aminoglycosides, think loop diuretics, they also tend to cause ototoxicity. Um, and there are some shared transporters between those two tissues, so it makes a little bit of sense. Uh, the current thinking is that children are more susceptible to the ototoxicity of cisplatin than adults, and in children it's routine to uh, monitor uh, auditory function before and during treatment. Uh, that may be done at some centers in adults, although it's not something I've seen routinely in my career. So originally, nephro or kidney damage was the most was the dose limiting toxicity. Now the dose limiting toxicity cisplatin seems to be neuropathy, and it's a cumulative neuropathy that happens over time. And this can limit its co-administration or use along with other drugs like taxanes that cause peripheral neuropathy as well. And then one that doesn't get talked about a lot and is somewhat population-specific, but that is infertility. Uh, and this is especially a concern when our testicular cancer patients who receive more than 400 milligrams per meter squared. Uh, and I mentioned that the dose for testicular cancer patients is often 20 milligrams per meter squared for five days. As up. That's, that would be one cycle, so a cycle gets 100 milligrams per meter squared per day. So more than 400, you're looking at more than four cycles and that's typically the, the limit of treatment for testicular cancer. So you're looking at testicular cancer patients uh, who have relapsed and requiring second-line treatment with cisplatin. Those are the ones where you worry about infertility. Um, also because uh, testicular cancer patients are young men, and, and those are the ones uh, where you would see uh, infertility as opposed to older patients who are, say, maybe out of their childbearing uh, years. So that is cisplatin. Foundations in Oncology Pharmacy. Um, moving forward, I'm hoping to drop a pod every week. Uh, we've got our uh, Landmarks series to maintain, our Foundation series to maintain. Uh, we'll also be providing updates whenever there is a new uh, chemical entity approved for oncology, uh, as well as uh, periodic updates for you know notifications for warnings, concerns, or things like that, or or things that I that I come across in my lit reviews that I, that I find interesting that I think others would be interested in hearing. With that being said, I will sign off, and I want to thank you all for listening. Have a great day.